Good morning and welcome. It's good to see everybody this morning as you're making your way in. I hope you got a bulletin and you'll be able to follow along in service. Uh, we do have a few announcements that we want to share with you. First, let me welcome you if you're here visiting with us. Uh, we do have a blue visitor card that's there in the pew in front of you. And if you're here visiting, we'd like to have a record of your visit. We'd like to be able to reach out to you uh, and see how we can minister to you and your family. So if you would fill that out. Also, on the back is a prayer card. We appreciate many of you who have been filling those out. It sure helps in the office uh, for us to know what is happening in your life. And many of you have shared upcoming surgeries or upcoming events or things that you're facing. And that really helps us to be able to pray for you, to follow up, and to see what's going on in your life. So thank you for filling those out. They're wonderful ways to keep us informed going forward. Uh, but you will see a few announcements on the back. As we go through all those announcements, I will just highlight uh, a few of the uh, prayer requests as we're going to pray in just a moment. Uh, Phil and Karina Mahaffey, we've updated that in the prayer request. The elders have said it was okay for them to go ahead and put that in there. As you know, they are on their journey to try to get to Spain, and they're in the last leg of the work with MTW, and that comes to the fundraising. This before it may and it's going to cost many thousands of dollars a month for them to raise support. If you've never done this before, it may sound like a lot. Uh, but many times going into the Eastern Asia countries or Europe, it's anywhere from eleven dollars to $15,000 a month that they have to raise in long-term support. And so they've already begun that journey, and they wanted to just let you know where they are. And uh, our church has already put them in our budget, and we're going to support them as part of our missions team. Uh, but if you're interested any other way in helping them as individuals, many times in the PCA, we don't have a board like some denominations where everybody gives to the board and then the board pays the missionaries. We support our missionaries individually. And so many and all of our missionaries are either funded by churches or individuals throughout the nation. And so that's why we've told Phil he's welcome to include that in here as a prayer request. You can see that, the number that they're going to try to reach by April so that they can stay on target. And he'll be speaking to many churches, going around reaching people. Um, so pray for him and Karina as they continue that journey this morning as we pray for them. And then finally, let me just say by way of announcements, the spring event is coming up March 18th. That is set. It's on the calendar. If you've never been to one of our spring events or used to be Valentine's Day parties and things, it's a wonderful time in the fellowship hall. You can sign up, and uh, they usually have several families picked out to be a part and to act through things, and you never know what they're going to pull out uh, and be a part of, so you won't want to miss that. It's there in the bulletin for you. Uh, but let's take a moment this morning and pray together. Uh, you'll see the list in front of you there. It's important that we're able to pray for many of these families, those who are going through treatments and are still going through recovery, and some have had surgeries, and others are in uh, senior living situations, and others are now uh, facing times of senior care. So we have a lot going on in the church, and we just want to lift those up here this morning as well. And so let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. I'll lead us to the throne of grace if you will join me in the Lord's Prayer. And if you need that, you will see it inside the red cover of the hymn book, and you can follow along as we pray together. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again this morning, as we come to the throne of grace, Lord, we just ask that you use us. Lord, that we would be available to minister to many of these needs. Lord, so many times we come to you asking that you would meet the needs when many times you could use us to do so that we could be the ones available to make the trip to the doctor or to the store or, Lord, to sit with them or to just spend the time. Lord, there's many ways that we could be used to help comfort and bring uh, encouragement through the healing process. And so, Lord, please, if, it, if we're able to be used, we ask, Lord, that you would use us uh, and that, Lord, we would be able to be ministers of reconciliation through that. We do pray for those who are continuing all their treatment and recovery through cancer. Uh, Lord, as they go through each of the treatments, that you'll sustain them and strengthen them. Uh, Lord, we pray for those who have overcome sicknesses. Uh, Lord, that you'll help them regain strength. Uh, we pray for those who've overcome surgery, uh, that they will be able to be rehabilitated and, and get back involved in worshiping and serving again. Lord, all these we bring before you this morning. Again, knowing, Father, that you have the answer. You are the great physician. You are the one with your providential care that knows all, sees all, and accomplishes all according to your will. And yet, Lord, we just 
humbly come before you asking to reveal that to us, to help us understand what it is you're accomplishing in and through our lives. Lord, we, we don't deserve the answer. We haven't done anything to be privileged to receive that. But yet, Lord, you have willingly come to us, revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ, even dwelt us with the Holy Spirit to enable us to be able to communicate, to even pray when we're not sure what to pray. And yet, Lord, you've also taught us in Scripture that we could come boldly to the throne of grace, praying together as you taught us, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And let me say this. I was excited when I saw that it was the question and answer about assurance of salvation. There's a whole section in our Confession of Faith, chapter 18, about the assurance of salvation. And having been in the church for many years and even experienced it myself before, the vexing issue of assurance can really derail us as Christians. God wants us to be effective and useful, but Satan will try to get us to isolate ourselves and doubt that anyone has ever experienced something like we're feeling inside if we're lacking that assurance. So this is to encourage you that you're not the only one if you've ever struggled with that, but this was written 400 years ago. So you're not the only one who has struggled with this, but these scholars and pastors went to scripture and said, what do we believe about this? And brought scripture and truth out into the open so that we would be encouraged. So if you have time later today, check out Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 18, about assurance, and let it be a lifeline to you. Not just the words of the confession, but look at the scriptures that it points to. So that's my encouragement to you today as we read. I was excited about this question. So I'll read the question, and then let's respond together. Question 80, can true believers be infallibly assured that they are and will remain in a state of grace, persevering to salvation? Those who truly believe in Christ and try to walk in good conscience before him may be infallibly assured that they are and will remain in a state of grace, persevering to salvation. This assurance is not the result of any unusual revelation, but comes from faith grounded on the truth of God's promises and from the Spirit, who gives believers the spiritual insight into their own hearts to which these promises are directed. The Spirit also testifies with their spirits that they are the children of God. Let's pray this prayer of confession together from the bulletin. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are rich in mercy to all who call upon you. Hear us as we come to you, humbly confessing our sins and transgressions. We seek your mercy and forgiveness. We have broken your holy laws by our deeds and by our words and by the sinful affections of our hearts. We confess before you our disobedience and ingratitude, our pride and independence, and all our failures and shortcomings toward you and toward our neighbors. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, of your great goodness grant that we may, from this day forward, serve and please you in newness of life through the merit and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And here's the wonderful promise that you're not going to hear anywhere else in this world. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I say rejoice. If that's you, if you're a Christian, if your hope is in Jesus and in his righteousness alone, you have nothing to be afraid of and you have everything to have hope for the future. Future as long as God gives us in this world and forever. Now we have the opportunity to worship our Lord through giving. 
So as I pray, I'm going to ask those who will be receiving the offering this morning to go ahead and come forward. Let's pray together. Father, you are the great giver, and even today I reflect how you are always loving us, always pursuing us, always giving us opportunities to draw near and to draw back to you. Thank you for your generosity, your moving toward us that allows us and gives us the confidence to come before you when we've sinned again and again. Father, thank you that we can imitate you in giving and having your heart for one another and having your heart for our community and throughout this world that the gospel would be preached and that we would truly love our neighbor in word and in deed. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you to our music team again for leading us. And again, we always encourage if you would like to be a part to step up and help us out as we go through this. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews. We're going to finish up this morning a journey uh, that we have been doing through the book of Hebrews. And we come to a last section. And I would like to try to take this on and speak to you this morning about what it really means to be committed to this great commission of Christ. If the whole book of Hebrews as a sermon could be put before us, it's that we have a Jesus who is never changing, one that is never being surpassed, and one that has offered all we would ever need in order to be holy, sanctified, and right in the presence of God. But what does that mean for today? A couple of weeks ago, we began to finish up in chapter 13 about what it means to be pleasing to God. And that all of us, I know, want to live our life with that comment answered when people ask, well, how do you know your life is pleasing to God? I can give you a quick answer. It's not based on anything you do. 
Your life is pleasing to God simply because Jesus Christ covered you. He paid the price. He's brought you into that wonderful access of the heavenly sanctuary and has prepared you to spend eternity with the Father. You have nothing to do with whether or not you're pleasing to the Father. But there is a lot that you can do as a sacrifice of praise to thank the Lord for all that he has done for you. And one of that is this commitment to following Christ. We would call it in a big realm, discipleship. How many of you, if I were to ask you this morning, have committed your life to the commission of Jesus Christ? That's what the writer of Hebrews is really asking of you. I have told you everything that you could possibly want to know about how Jesus is the answer to all of our needs. And how has that changed your life? Are you willing to follow Christ as faithfully as he came to save you? And so we find ourselves here, chapter 13, wrapping up. It begins in verse 9. I'll make a relation back to a moment where we left off last time. But please listen as he picks up this understanding of how it is that we must continue in our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. It begins in verse 9, right after he has told us that Jesus is the same forever. He says this, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And here's his summary. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This morning, I want to take you on a journey of a few things of how it is that you can remain committed to this wonderful commission of Christ, how it is that you can know that now that you are accepted in Christ, that you can do the things that are pleasing to him, that he expects of you, so that you can continue beyond the sermon. I'm not sure where you are in your life right now. I'm not sure what struggles you're going through and what issues you've had to overcome and what obstacles you've had to hurdle. I'm not sure what it is that it's going to take for you so that you don't give up and quit and so that you don't just fall to the side and wander away. And as the writer even told us, that you would neglect the gathering together of believers. I'm not sure where Satan is tempting you. But I can assure you of one thing. There is some things that you can do so that you can stay active in pleasing God the rest of your days. Here's where he takes us. Let me take us on a journey of this commission that Christ has given us and how we can do it. First of all, he makes the relationship in verse 9 when he says this, do not be led away by these diverse and strange teachings. If you're going to be committed to Christ the rest of your life, beyond this sermon, you can't be following strange and diverse teachings that come along the way. Now, there's many things that this relates to. Go back to verse 7, and let me give you why the writer puts this in there. It's not just that he wants to talk about teachings. Listen to the relationship he makes about remembering the leaders. In verse 7, it says this, Remember your leaders. You can circle that word, draw a line, and go down and circle the word strange, because that's what he's making the reference to. You're either going to follow the one true leaders, those who are in the word, or you're going to follow the things that are strange. That's the face, that, I mean, that's the options that we face today. 
There are all kinds of things out there today in which people are telling you that they've uncovered more truths, more religious truths, more identities for us to find. There's more applications. There's more situations that are changing time. There's all kinds of things that technology has helped us with, and we can better understand who we are, how we're to live, and how the world works. And the writer says, don't follow those strange teachings. If you're going to be committed to the commission of Christ... You must stick with the leaders. You go down a little bit in verse 7. It says, those who spoke to you, the word of God. Circle that word there if you want in your Bible or whatever you do. Draw a line to verse 9 that's called teachings. That's the word, if you wish, didaskais. It's the plural form of didaskalos in Greek. It's the word that is used to describe man-made teachings. Now, you may not understand that. Sometimes the word is actually even translated doctrines, and you've got to be careful I won't make you go back and find a doctoral thesis, but it was back in the late 90s when I just got married and I spent my days at the big boy restaurant. Anybody know what that is? Oh, man, I didn't realize. I used to get up and my wife with her new child, Aaron, was born and I was writing my doctoral thesis in my D-Men program and I was asked to write on a topic and this is what I chose to do. Now, don't ask me why. I thought I could save the world back then. But the topic of my thesis was this, eliminating doctrines and illuminating faith. And I had to use an entire presentation of all kinds of scriptural teachings to show that that word for doctrines, didaskalized, man-made teachings, are sometimes brought into the place in which we realize our faith is being supplanted by man-made teachings. Now, I'm not saying let's eliminate the truths of scripture, But folks, I would bet many of you are like most Christians. When you open your study Bible and read it, it's not the Bible you're reading, but the what? The study notes. If you're studying a passage of Scripture, you're not opening up many different versions of the text that we have. You're opening up all kinds of commentaries and different viewpoints of what people say about the Bible. You see, we live in a world today where many times, even when we do a Bible study, for good reasons, I'm not knocking that, we have all kinds of books that help facilitate us in our Bible study because we've grown into a culture in which it is so easy to follow the teachings and the wires of man rather than what? The word of truth. I can tell you in my own life why I liked it because there for a while, every time I would read Scripture, I would be convicted. I could read books and not have to face that conviction. I could read what others wrote about things and like what they were saying. But when I would find myself in the scripture, I'd be like, well, wait a minute. If that's what God says, I've got to change. Well, wait a minute. If that's what God says, I've got to do something different. But when someone else talks about it, I don't have to what? I don't have to change. And that's what the writer is saying here. Our writer of Hebrews in his sermon is connecting these. He's saying here in verse 9, do not get led away by the things that are strange. Stick to the leaders of the truth, of the faith. And do not get caught up in leaving the word of God and following all these teachings. Now go a little bit farther. He says in verse 7, consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate it. Pattern your life after that. You can draw that down to the very first words that says, do not be led away. That is a fancy word, paraphaerestai. Go in there and try to pronounce all that in the Greek. It is the word that is being carried away by currents. It's the same word that is used as if you were floating down a stream in a kayak, and all of a sudden you hit the rapids, and you couldn't control it anymore, and your kayak began to get carried down the streams, and it began to get pushed into the sides and the ways that you were going. That's the word that is used here for those of us who lose our focus on Scripture, Stop imitating that which we know is truth, and we start getting carried away by these false teachings and these exciting things that come about. Man, you could go to any bookstore you want and go down the religious aisle and find all the self-help books. We've said this before, and a thousand different ways to change your church to make it better. The top 10 ways to make your church successful, as if the ways of man have now found a better way to do it than the Word of God. And maybe you've done the same thing in your home. Rather than turning to the Scriptures to figure out how to pattern your relationship, and rather than turning to the Scriptures on how to raise your children, and rather than turning to the Scriptures on how to find forgiveness, and rather than turning to the Scriptures on how to overcome obstacles, 
it's a whole lot easier to go find the book that says the 10 top ways to be successful in life and read about what the world considers successful and still be as far from what God wants you to be as you've ever been. You see, all of a sudden, he ends this sermon with a powerful way of saying, how many of us are truly committed to Christ's commission? What changes have we made in life? How has it affected us? How has it affected our relationships? He finally does the last thing in verse 7 when he says, imitate their faith. Circle faith, folks. I'm going to have you drawing all over your Bible. I apologize. I'll have Nick buy you a new one. He's got an account for that to do that. And he can buy you a Bible and send you on your way. But circle that word faith and draw the line and put down, down, not by foods. Do you see the, the verse 9 is not just thrown in there. It's actually going back to this understanding of how people today are not following the godly leaders. They're not in the word of God. They're not imitating that which is true. And they have no faith. They're putting everything in the worldly understanding and their foods. You want to be healthy today? I wonder what the Lord says about being healthy, about falling on your face, prostrating in prayer, fasting over decisions, calling one another together in corporate prayer, helping one another in encouragement, the things that actually make the soul healthy. And today, if I asked you what it is to be healthy, you can give me the next dietary plan on what foods to cook and how to cook them so that you'll feel better. Folks, I'm here to tell you it was no different 2,000 years ago when the writer said, don't think that your spiritual life has anything to do with the way you prepare food or what offerings you're bringing to the Lord and what you're putting in your body. The only thing that matters is who indwells your body. And if the Holy Spirit has come, and if you have truly been commissioned by Christ to serve. First and foremost, here in verse 9, we're told that we are not to be led away. That's this word, carried away. But now I'll give you another word. Listen to what it says in verse 9. It is good for the heart to be strengthened. That's a very important word. That's actually the antithetical word to the one that is carried away. It's the Greek word that is used there, by ustai. It's a passive sense, reflexive tense that is actually only used here. And it is the word that means strengthened, supported, or rooted in. Now I want you to think of this. Go back into your Psalms and write this. He is like a tree... Planted by the what? The waters. Rooted, grounded. That's the words that is used here. You're either being carried away by the waters or you're being rooted and grounded in with the water that's holding you to hold on to the side of the bank and to be rooted and strengthened. That's the difference in the person who is serving Christ and the person who's serving the world. You're either rooted in Christ and you're going to do whatever it is Christ has asked you to do in Scripture or you're going to float along with the currents of life and for every next fad that comes along, that's what you're going to chase. And I can tell you one thing living in D.C. area. I love the people of D.C. Shake your head like this. <laughs> but I have learned in D.C. there is a fad for everything you can think of. If you want to chase something different, just go down to the mall, the outdoor mall, the Washington, D.C. mall, and you can find something to picket, something to protest, something to join, something. To, it doesn't matter what it is. If you want to join the fad, it's there. And the Bible simply says, why would you want to join a fad and get involved in the strange teachings and following the ways of men and use all your energies to change this world when we're told right up here through the same thing in scriptures that this is not the world that we're living for. It says it simply, not my words, but his, verse 14, for here we have no lasting city. No matter how much effort you put into it, I'm not saying don't help the world. I'm not saying don't be green. I'm not trying to say we shouldn't be into the fossil fuels and we shouldn't be into picking up our litter and we shouldn't be into recycling. I'm not trying to take those stands and say the world's not worth it. I'm just saying we're putting so much effort into trying to preserve a world that is not the lasting city we should be after. We should be living for the city that is to come. We should be living for the world that has been prepared. We should be living for that which God wants for us and which the commission has designed for us. And so the first thing I tell you is you've got to stay away 
from strange teachings. How else can you be committed to Christ? Number two, you've got to be strengthened by the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says here. Your heart must be strengthened by His grace, not by foods or anything else. The heart is what is actually there to remind us of the character of who we are. It's the outgrowth of what we've become. When the heart is strengthened by the grace of God, it understands all that God has done for us. He reminds us in verse 10, we have this altar from which those who serve have no tent or right to eat. We're not talking about the altar of the table. We're not talking about the altar outside. We're talking about the heavenly sanctuary that has been opened to you because of the cross of Christ. You have a place to come and feed regularly in the holy of holies, in the sanctuary that Christ has opened for you, where you can come boldly to the throne of grace and find anything that you need in the presence of the Father. And only those whose hearts have been touched by grace are able to experience that. No one else has the right to do that. If you're here this morning, you're wrestling with things in your life, and you can't understand why it is that God's not seeming to help you, why it is God doesn't seem to hear you, why it is He doesn't seem to want to answer when you ask things, my question to you is this, but has your heart yet been touched by grace? Because without the grace of God, you have no access to the altar of the heavenly heavenlies to come into the presence of the Almighty for help. It's about your heart. You want to be committed to Christ. You want to be a part of the Great Commission. You've got to understand the importance of your heart in how Christ, in coming to die for you, has prepared an altar for you so that you can come into the presence of the Almighty whenever and however you need. You see, the difference is that we're not trying to do it in the ways of the world. We're doing it the way Christ would want us to do it. We're doing it by being changed, by being remolded and remade. Jesus, our high priest, he's the one who gave us this sin offering, access to this heavenly place. It's through him that we're able to come it's a reference back to the Day of Atonement. Listen to what he says in verse 11 and 12 as he goes on. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places, burned by the high priest. We're now on the Day of Atonement. We're now back into the time in which the high priest would take the blood of the animals and he would bring it into the holy place, the holy of holy place. And that's the time we've shared before. They would tie a rope on him, put bells on him. They were scared to death because he would enter into this holy of holies. And who knew whether or not God would accept the sacrifice of that blood? If God would accept it, it would be great. But if he didn't, he'd be struck dead. And they would want to drag him back out because nobody wanted to go into the presence of the Almighty if he was angry. It was on this day that the writer is referencing that he would go into the holy place and listen to this in verse 11. And the priest as a sacrifice for sins were burned outside the camp. See, not only do we need to stay away from the strange teachings, not only do we be strengthened by grace in our heart, the third thing I want to show you here is that we also need to be sanctified by the blood of Christ. If you're going to be on the commission for Christ, you've got to be sanctified and set apart by Christ. You've got to have been cleansed. You've got to understand what he did for you outside the gate. Do you see? Because when that sacrifice was made on the Day of Atonement, you can go back into Leviticus chapter 16. You can read the story. They would bring the blood of this carcass that they brought, the animal that they killed. But what would happen to the rest of the animal? It would be taken outside the camp, and it would there be burned in its entirety, not eaten. It wasn't to be consumed by any person. It was to be completely burned up outside the gate, outside where the sin could go, outside where the people were unworthy, outside where the people were considered detached and unclean. It's the place that Golgotha would become because Jesus was deemed amongst the sinners unclean and unworthy and where he would be rejected by God. When he gave his life for us. Have you been sanctified by Jesus Christ? Has his blood been sprinkled over you? Has he come to make you ready for the presence of the Father? 
You see, all of these analogies come together because on the Day of Atonement, it's all about God and praising Him for what He's done, not because of the sacrifice. We were asked to give our best. We were asked to bring what it was, was the male without blemish, our only one. We were asked to bring our best before the Lord on the Day of Atonement so that we could say, Lord, whatever it would cost us, it would still never compare to what it what? Cost you. For you gave your what? Your only begotten son. For me. For me. Outside the gate. Away from the holy place. Away from his sanctuary. When he left the portals of heaven... The tabernacle was designed and built after the pattern given Moses of where Jesus reigned on high. And when he came to earth, he wasn't even welcome in his own place. The whole picture patterned for him, and they took him outside the gate. They took him to be with those that were deemed unworthy. The blood of Christ. Thusi hosterion. It's the Greek word that we get here translated for altar. It's the reference not to an altar altar, but throughout Scripture it's the reference to the cross of Christ. And even more so at times a reference to the heavenly sanctuary. It's that altar. It's that place we belong. It's that place in the presence of the Father. To be sanctified means to be prepared to be in His presence. It's a lifelong process those of you who've been through it, you've studied it and know it. There's the three main realms that we have in this world. We're justified, sanctified, and what? Glorified. Justified is this instantaneous declaration that we have by God. It's nothing we've done. It's nothing we've deserved. It's because Jesus Christ died, his blood in our place, our sins put on him. We made him who knew no sin to what? to be the sin, and he propitiated for us. He took our place, and because he took our place and he appeased the Father and the wrath was put out, God now looks at us and just simply says, I declare you right. You're justified. But then there comes this part called sanctification, hagios, or holiness. It's the word that is used to mean set apart because for the rest of our lives we're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's this process of His work in our hearts that we're constantly being changed. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, that our hearts may be strengthened by grace so that every day of our life the Holy Spirit working more and more in us is making us more and more ready to experience the presence and the blessings of God in this heavenly sanctuary prepared for us. So that one day when he calls us home, whether you're that three-day-old who just draws their last breath, covered in trisomy, and the world says it'll never make it, or whether you're 103 and you've drawn your last breath on the side of the bed when others said it's been too long, it's the moment that God calls you home that you realize you're not just justified and being sanctified. You're now what? You're now glorified. He's now brought you to the place because he's exactly what he wants you to be. And he's filling the heavenly sanctuary with those he's made just what he wants them to be. Are you being sanctified by the blood of Christ? Or are you still trying to let the world shape you and form you the way they think you would work best? Still being accepted by the world? Still being looked at as privileged positions? Still being acknowledged by those who are successful? Well, listen to what he says here. He goes a little bit further when he tells us about being sanctified so Jesus also suffered outside the gate to sanctify us. And he says it this way, the blessings of being with Christ outside the gate. It's an exchange that you must make. And listen to this. If you've come to Jesus outside, listen to the exchange you must make. 
you must walk away from the things inside, the things that are deemed holy, right, and good, where all the people want to be around those who are acceptable and esteemed in the eyes of others, where people are bringing sacrifices that really didn't cost them much. They probably had extras to give. It was the place that if something did go wrong, it would be okay because others would accept that. Jerry Bridges writes the book calling them respectable sins where you go outside the gate to face the same reproach your Savior faced to identify with him. To be sanctified means that you've found this heart strengthening of grace that he's talking about because you understand what it means to go through an atonement. You understand what it means to have been forgiven. You know what it means to have been cleansed and to have access and to be friends with the Father, to have fellowship, one with the Trinity, if you wish. You see, our hearts are being strengthened. The writer of the sermon makes it clear not only are we leaving these teachings of man behind, We're not following every fad that comes, and we're being strengthened by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Our hearts are being rooted and grounded in the Word of God. We've been set apart, sanctified by the blood of Christ. And he takes us on this journey. Look at verse 13. Therefore, outside the camp. How many of you are identifying with the unclean, the unholy, the unwanted, the rejected, the place nobody wants to be? Paul would remind us when he would say this, such were some of you. So how can you forget where you came from? And think that you're so much better now that you don't need to be outside the camp. Being committed to Christ is costly. Discipleship is costly. It's going to take you on a journey at times to where when you leave these earthly assurances aside, you find yourself on a pattern that many people don't even want to be a part of. The Gospel of Mark, when he's writing, he says it this way when people were asked about following Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels, he will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man gain in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory with the Father. Too ashamed to go outside the camp? Many people will say to me, Lord, Lord. And Jesus said, I will say, depart from me, for I what? I never knew you. Are you willing to go outside the camp? Do you understand back in the book of Exodus when Moses was there reaching out to the people, they'd built the calves, they'd rejected God, they'd rebelled against him, that when Moses came down and he set the tent back up, do you remember where he set the tent up? outside the camp. It would be outside the camp that Moses would take his people. It's where Moses would meet in the tabernacle. He would take it to the people. He would bring God to the people who were outside, who were rebellious, who had been against him, who had sinned and who had failed. And yet Moses set the tabernacle up in the midst and said, God, when you come to meet with me, let's meet in the midst of what? Sinners. Maybe your journey with Christ right now is looked at more upon getting away from the life you want to live or lived into a place where you don't have to worry about living that kind of life. In other words, my Christianity has exalted me. It's lifted me up. It's given me better friends, better life, better jobs. I'm recognized by others. I have a recognition in this world that's different. But outside the camp, folks, you're going to suffer the loss of privileges 
outside the camp, you're going to suffer the loss of all the recognition of certain people. And if you're like me, you might not even be acknowledged by your own father for many, many years because you made a choice to follow the Bible. Outside the camp. Is it too costly? You see, the sermon comes to an end when he begins to say it's not just about the strange teachings. It's not just about strengthening our heart of grace. It's not about just being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's about serving outside the camp with Jesus Christ. And finally, listen to what he says. This being consecrated and set apart. He says down here in these verse 14, he goes on, this lasting city that is to come, verse 15, through him then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. You know, throughout the book of Hebrews, not that you really care, but we constantly got these words, hagiadzo, the word for holiness set apart. We got the words katharidzo, which was the word for cleansing and to be made clean. We got the word teleao, which is the word for perfect or complete. You see, the whole sermon's been built around the understanding that when we come to Jesus Christ and we meet him outside the gate in the place in which he came to us because we couldn't come to him, it's because he would make us holy, he would cleanse us and perfect us. In other words, he's making us acceptable to be in the presence of God so that we could praise him that our lives could become a sacrifice of praise. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, says it better than anything else when they simply remind us, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, present your bodies a living, holy, acceptable to God. It's your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Let me back up. Do not follow all the strange what? Teachings. Paul's writing it this time. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the strengthening of your heart, by the grace of God. And then he says this. By the testing that you may discern what is the will of God, and catch this, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Hebrews simply says, you now have the right to be as of the office of praise. To be in the presence of the Almighty Father unashamed and to say thank you. And to tell the world all he has done for you. Yes, we look to the heavenly Jerusalem. Outside the city. Outside in the place nobody else wants to go. And we realize it's not because we have a sacrifice ourselves to give. But we have become a sacrifice like he. You yourself, a living sacrifice for the Lord. The writer of Psalm 50 says it this way when God responds, Hear, O my people, I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept the bull from your house or the goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is already mine, and the cattle on the thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all the moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not even tell you, for the world is mine, and the fullness of it is already mine. Do I need to eat the flesh of the bulls or drink the blood of goats? I'm not interested in your sacrifices. He says this, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high God. 
Call upon him in the day of trouble. He will deliver you and you will glorify him. Verse 23 says, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. You want to be a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord? You've got to stop following strange teachings. You've got to have a heart that is strengthened by grace. You've got to have a life that has been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you've got to be serving outside the camp amongst the world where Jesus came. And finally, you've got to be a sacrifice of praise, a holy, living sacrifice to God. Oh, I'll say the words. I don't remember who it was, if it was Wearsby or Murray or one of the writers from years ago. He said, the problem we have with living sacrifices is for most of us, we want to get up and walk away. Where are you this morning? Where are you? Are you wanting to be a sacrifice pleasing to God or have you gotten up and walked away? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the sermon of Hebrews. Thank you for your inspired word, your inerrant word. Lord, as we've learned through Hebrews, your son Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the one that we have long awaited. And now that we've experienced him, now that we know him, Lord, help us to be committed to him. Help us to lay down our lives like he laid down his life. Help us to give our love like he gave his love. Help us to fellowship like he fellowshiped so that we could be a sacrifice pleasing to you. Father, take us outside the gate. Take us to the place of shame, to the place where people will reject, mock, and scorn us. It is there that we will confess the name of our Lord and Savior as he will confess us before you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll receive the benediction as the conclusion to the book of Hebrews, the writer writes this, And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.